Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They do take themselves way too serious, and I can only stand about half an hour of it. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. That ball's lined pretty deep to left field. It sends back Rosario on the warning track at the wall, and it is off the wall. On his way to third is Correa. He's around third and coming home. He will score. And Marwin Gonzalez in the second with an RBI double to make it 2 to nothing Astros. You know, we talked about Justin, just his ability to kind of... Uh, have another gear when when things uh, get a little bit, you know, more with traffic on the bases. You know, we had our chances there, uh, the first and third, nobody out, and he, you know, he got a couple of punch outs and a pop up, and then even late we, we we gave ourselves an opportunity there, but we couldn't get a big hit. You know, you got to score to win, and uh, we didn't we didn't score. All right, Twins Twins lost. 2-0 last night. They get the Astros again tonight. Homestand uh, continues throughout the week. We'll see what the weather brings these next few days. It's Keuchel be, tonight, right? Yeah, Keuchel and the McCullers. It's uh, it's kind of it's their murderer's row of pitchers. No problem at all. That they're going to run out there. Yeah, Keuchel was Keuchel was rolling before he went down with a neck injury. I think it was last year. And yeah, but uh, but he's a really good pitcher, obviously. So Derek and I, when Derek was in, Chris Long was in for you yesterday. We had Derek in for a couple segments, and we debated something that happened over the weekend, and you can be the tiebreaker on this. Uh, Max Kepler, who does not hit in his first two years left-handed pitching very well at all. In fact, he's been so bad against left-handed pitching his first two full seasons that it's it's borderline benchable. Like, he's he's a platoon player if you just look at those first two years against lefties. So I get in the moment why you'd want to pull him out of the game if a lefty reliever comes in. You know, if you're just looking at... The last two years, kind of like Buxton in that first game of the season when they brought in Grossman. Yes, was it? Uh, yeah, Grossman pinch hit. Darren O'Day, I think, was the pitcher. But they had a chance. I believe Ripchinski was the left-handed reliever on the mound for the Mariners. The bases were loaded. It was like 15 degrees wind chill as well, which I think factors in. If you if you're entering a game and you haven't played at all yet, and you're just like walking out there and you're hit your your muscles and body are hit with that temperature for the first time, and you haven't been out there for an hour and a half, so they pinch hit. Molitor pinch hits Robbie Grossman for Max Kepler. Grossman has a terrible at bat. I think he struck out on like three or four pitches. Kepler has a double off a lefty so far this year, and he has drawn a walk off a lefty. So he is uh, he's reached base two of five times against lefties and just looks dialed in at the plate. And I said, I understand why Molitor did it. I think Kepler has to be given chances to get to that next level as a player. I, I didn't say the same thing about Buxton in that first game because I do think it's situational. Buxton had terrible at-bats in the first game, and uh, and Robbie Grote, they had to put a ball in play in that spot. Like, I'm going to be very situational with these. My gut told me over the weekend 
Max Kepler should get that at bat, should get a chance to sort of build off what he's done so far against lefties this season and see if he can drive a ball and change the game. Um, Derek disagreed. He said you can't afford to let developing overrule the right strategic decision in that moment. But what if allowing Max Kepler extra chances against lefties brings him to that Justin Morneau complete player level? Morneau was terrible against lefties early on, if I remember right. Then he became great because he saw a bunch of left-handed pitchers. So I would have let Max Kepler hit. Derek said, now that was the right strategic move. Where do you fall? I fall on, on the side of, I actually said uh, in the game in Baltimore that I, I would have let Buxton hit. I get why they didn't, but I I would have. When it comes to players like Buxton and Kepler, I would let them hit. I would definitely let them hit. I would, now, I don't know, if you're in a late season game and Kepler's been awful all year against lefties, I might change that thinking. But we're talking about an April game when, as you just said, he's gotten off to a pretty good start against lefties. He is a guy who you definitely want uh, to turn into an, an everyday player as soon as possible and be able to trust. Um, so I get, I understand what Paul is doing, and I get the, the fact that he's trying to win each and every game. But this is a tricky one, Phil, because we're talking about a team here that that overachieved last year, looks to be good, and so Paul now, now feels a pressure situationally to try and get what he considers to be the best matchup on a case-by-case basis. But we're still talking about a relatively young team and some players that you're trying to develop. So in the case of Buxton and Baltimore and Kepler here, given the circumstances and given the fact that I want them to be in every situation possible to grow, I let them hit. Yeah, you you could argue, too, just in terms of plate appearances it takes to feel really comfortable um, Justin Morneau's first three seasons, and I'm, I'm using Morneau because it's kind of a comparable thing. Like they're both left-handed hitters with uh, sort of similar swing planes, and and I think Morneau and and uh, Kepler connected in Morneau's time now as an advisor for the organization. Justin Morneau against left-handed pitching his first three years in the league, 154 average in 2003, 240 average in 04, which is more respectable. He hit three home runs against lefties. Back down to 201 in 2005, so he was and with almost no power, and then all of a sudden, 2006 was the year that everything clicked from all standpoints for Morneau. He bats 315 with a 904 OPS against left-handed pitching in wow. 2006 with 13 bombs, like just absolutely yeah, break, obliterated left-handed pitching. But it took him out, until yes. his fourth year, yeah, and it took him probably. I haven't added all these plate appearances up, but like three to four hundred plate appearances against lefties to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand short term you want to win games because the rest of your team is ready to make a playoff push again. And so you don't want to let the rest of your team down by putting a guy out there who's just a sacrificial lamb against left-handed pitching. But if you think that there if he was twenty-eight years old, I would say, okay, the book's been written. He is who he is. But he's in his mid-20s, and he might have a chance to be one of your best all-around players and if that, you just let him develop. And that's the difference, though. Yeah. Buxton and Kepler, there's going to come a day very soon where if you have to pinch hit for them, you're in trouble. There's something has gone drastically wrong. So my point is this. If it's a player like that, and I'm developing that player, and I deem that player to be incredibly valuable, I let the kid hit. And if he gets out, I'm going to be questioned. But guess what? If he picked up, if, if he grew from that at bat, that's important too. So if we're de- if we're dealing with okay players who might be platoon players and who you like but don't love, I completely get it. But when you're dealing with players who in the very near future are going to have to play all the time or something's gone wrong, mm-hmm. I let them develop. 
Here's another thing. I saw this from HarbaughTalk.com last night slash this morning, and then I and here comes literally another tweet just popped up with attendance figures around Major League Baseball last night. A lot of hand wringing about early season attendance figures in Major League Baseball. So there were eleven home games or eleven games played last night. So yeah. obviously eleven home attendance uh, gate numbers. Yep. Eight of those eleven games had attendance figures below twenty thousand. You had three below 10,000. You had a game, it was probably that White Sox game, that had a paid attendance of 7,003 fans. Another game was 7,900. The Twins were in at 15,000 last night. Okay, we don't need to wring our hands here. It's because the weather is super cold and crappy. What were the game time temps? Uh, I, I, I don't Thir- have that list. 30, yeah, super cold. 35, 42. Correct. Like this is, if people are framing yeah. this as an indictment of baseball's popularity, I would I, let's wait until June to figure that out. Now, if you want to frame it as an indictment of the weather and baseball scheduling and things like that, all right, that's definitely a conversation we can have. Although, because we're into now, I think it's the third week technically of the season. Um, this would be the week where you would start to mix. If if our theory works, where you have maybe the first three series for cold weather teams yeah. away from home, this would be the week where you would start to have those teams come back home because yeah, so we're now in the middle of April and the weather is still notably crappy oh, here in Minnesota. And this is as bad as it's going to get. But, when that stadium went up, you knew this was going to happen at some point. Yeah. This is as bad as it's going to get. But my point sure. has been this. Who puts the Twins at home for 10 consecutive games? Nobody. And then you... so <laughs> Somebody does. So then, yeah. So then, but here, here's my favorite. So then you play you play two home games against Cleveland. Puerto Rico is the perfect place to go. Guess what? As early in April as possible. Like why didn't you start? Why why didn't the Twins and make it all, you know, make it a fun thing, a unique home opening experience. You get a second one here. Why don't you put those games at the start of this schedule instead of at the back end of it. Are we sure it's not snowing in Puerto Rico, too? Because I feel like the weather all around the country has been just ridiculous. But if people are making a big deal of baseball attendance, I got news for you. There's a good reason why. I don't blame anybody who looks outside and says, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go to a baseball game. One of those really low games I know was the Marlins last night. Obviously, Miami weather, but you have to watch the Marlins. Yeah. So that's the other reason. Everyone hates the Marlins. 7,003 at that that game. That was the Marlins. So was the White Sox game the other 7,000 number? Uh, Tampa Bay, Chicago announced 10,377. Cleveland uh, Cleveland announced 9,000 plus. Really? Uh, Oh, that's a a really good team, too. Toronto at Baltimore, 7,915. I I believe the smallest crowd in the history of Camden Yards. Yeah. Well, again, it's like it's it's early, it's crappy weather, and. And uh, yeah, I think uh, once once you get into May June, it's not as much of an issue. And really, it's more about TV ratings in terms of revenue too, and some of these TV deals that keep getting signed. I think the Rays just signed a new TV deal. So maybe the Rays are on the list really? of teams that have a better TV deal than the Twins. <laughs> That's still why you have night there. games now. Do we know the Twins? They didn't sign a new TV deal, right? Are they still working that twenty nine million dollar thing from two thousand eleven? As far as I know, they are. Unless there was an opt out. They keep those they... very quiet though. Yeah, very hush hush. But I feel like they would have announced some sort of an extension if, you know, if there was an opt out and they were able to extend it. I would think that at the very least, not releasing the terms of it, but they would have said, you know, Fox Sports North and the Twins partner on a new deal. My understanding is is that uh, Fox Fox Sports North or or the Fox affiliates aren't big fans of that because they don't want uh, competing cable entities to know when the deal is going to lapse. They learned their lesson in Chicago. So so there was a Fox Sports Chicago which had rights to the Cubs, White Sox, Blackhawks, and Bulls, and and whoever negotiated the contracts, Hmm. they all came up at once. 
And Comcast came in and said, okay, boys, Whoops. I'll give you a stake. So I, I think the teams don't mind announcing when they have new agreements. I think the actual Fox affiliates don't like it because they, they don't want the Comcast of the world to know when the deals are going to come I mean, up. Couldn't an executive from Comcast just call an oh, executive with could. the team and of say, hey, when's your deal could. up? We want to come in and make a pitch it's to a, you? It's a football type of thing of, oh, keep everything quiet. Yeah. If it's kept quiet, no one will know. Yeah. I suppose they don't want publications writing about and stuff, whatever. Dave, what kind of questions do you have for us next? Well, the Twins, you said they drew around 15 or so last night? Yes. They were playing the Astros. They're really good. I want to ask you guys just how good. All right. And Jason Stark will join the show. He actually talked to Mark McGuire in the last, uh, this might have been an interview that he did during spring training, but but it came out. This is going to happen at 15, in 15 minutes on our show. Jason Stark had Mark McGuire admit something really interesting uh, or speculate on something. So we'll do that. Let's talk about Chris Lindahl here for a second, too. Chris Lindahl, the number one REMAX results team in America. And between April 16th and 18th, so you got less than a week here to get your signups in. To, to, seating is very limited for these seller workshops. But with the Chris Lindahl seller workshops, the Chris Lindahl team is going to help you make the money you deserve when you sell your home. And that can be whether you work with the Chris Lindahl team or or with somebody else. The fact is the world has changed when it comes to home selling, and yet people are still doing the same things, the same traditional things in the same traditional ways and leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table. How would it sound to make thirty to $60,000 more on the sale of your home? Well, you can learn all the tricks and tools that you need to at the Seller Workshops April 16th through the 18th. Sellerworkshop.com to go sign up. And again, seating is limited, so sign up fast. Sellerworkshop.com or 763-401-SOLD. Mackie and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. Jason Stark in about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. Dave Harrigan's got some questions for us. Yeah, it's a simple one to start. The Houston Astros, they're really good. Like, they're really, really good. They're 9-2 and two to start the year. They're coming off a World Series. So I'll put it to you simply, the Houston Astros, as currently constructed when healthy and when playing good baseball, are the best baseball team you have seen since blank. I am going to say the, and this this would be predicated partially on, on uh, multiple championships, but I'm going to say they're the best team I've seen since the late 90s Yankees. Wow. That won uh, three consecutive World Series, and then went back in 2001 and lost to the Diamondbacks. They, when they are collectively, when they are healthy and playing well, they remind me a little bit of Golden State as far as their ability to score runs, provide offense, knock down the three ball, knock down the three exactly. But I am going to say yes, uh, they are. They they remind me, or they they are the best since the late '90s Yankees, which is high high praise. Well, it's it, you know regular season record wise, there are some teams. The Cubs actually won more games in the regular season the year before than the Astros. But I think you just look at the the rosters, like the Astros are. The Astros bullpen was better than the Cubs. The Cubs just leaned on Araldis Chapman for every big out. I mean, it got to the point where they just weren't bringing in other relievers. They brought in John Lester on like a day and a half rest in one of those playoff games because they didn't trust the other five guys in their bullpen. Uh, the same can't be said for the Astros. Yeah, I'm trying to go back here. 
just looking at World Series winners, I mean, the 98 Yankees went 114 and 48. So that would be the obvious one. That's mm-hmm. good. 114. That's okay. And 48. That's a lot of losses, though. I mean, no, it's not. It's 48, 48 losses. What happened in those, Joe Torrey? Um, here's a sneaky one. The 2009 Yankees that went 103 and 59, and that was that was still peak Alex Rodriguez. It was peak Derek Jeter. They also had Mark Teixeira, Robinson Cano, Jorge Posada, Johnny Damon was still very good. Mm-hmm. And in that lineup, uh, Johnny Damon hit 24 bombs, uh, scored a bunch of runs. Hideki Matsui was a really good hitter. Like they, Everyone in that lineup was a 20 or 30 home run hitter, so that offense was incredible. And then you had in his prime CC, you, had, you still had playoff uh, Andy Pettit, Mariana Rivera. So I, w- I would say the 09 Yankees and this year's Astros, if you could somehow you know make that happen with a DeLorean, be a pretty fun matchup. But the the 98 Yankees, that's ne- that's next to next level. That's Hall of Famers all over the place, and, and that's that's 114 wins. That's pretty ridiculous. A lot of victories. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys see the Andrew Luck news yesterday? Spoke to the media for the first time since the end of December. Admitted, yeah, he's he uh, earlier kind of skipped out on his rehab. Not skipped out, but tried to skip a few steps, tried to jump ahead in the process, and uh, that screwed his arm up a little hmm. bit. Now he's back throwing, but not with real footballs. He's throwing with reduced size footballs to work on that throwing motion. He can't throw a real football yet. Okay. I'm envisioning like those ones we had in the playground with like the big tail behind it that made the siren sound as you threw it 40 <laughs> yards down the field. So he's gonna, so he's gonna be. It's like Shaq shooting free throws. It's like yes. what it looks like. Okay. Exactly. He's throwing tiny little footballs to work on his throwing motion, his mechanics. My simple question is: If you're the new coach of the Indianapolis Colts, what are your thoughts right now regarding <laughs> Andrew Lockett? Well, I'm trying to get the. I'm petitioning for the league to uh, to reduce the size of the football if that's as far as his rehab will go. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. The Colts weren't the Colts, the team that blew the whistle on the Patriots for deflating the footballs. Yeah, yeah. Can we yeah. use Nerf? Funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what were those ones like? Those Nerf footballs that had the little craters in them too to help with like. Oh, yeah, so you can really get spiral. the grip. Yes. Yeah, get the grip in there. I had yeah. one. It was called the Illuminator. It was a yes. glow in the dark football. Yes, I had the same one. You could use that night. The only problem is there was a the battery. There was like a nine volt battery stuck in it, Judd. And then this plastic piece that went over it that had a little it like, hurt thick your, rubber it band. It hurt your hand when you caught the ball. I didn't have that issue. The problem is anytime you score a touchdown, I mean, you want to spike the ball or you want to, you know, kick it or punt it or whatever, the battery would go flying out <laughs> 40 yards away. Then you'd be grabbing flashlights trying to search for the 9-volt battery for somewhere sure. in the grass so I you could continue the game. Oh, it was the greatest thing oh, ever. Yeah. The other thing, too, is you play – so we would play in the dark, and uh, and, and you so you'd be able to see the football, but at a certain time you wouldn't, like, have any – you have no idea where like your teammates are. Exactly, you're just playing in the dark. I missed and all of this. Incomplete pass. The ball would hit the ground too. And then there's the goes the battery. Ah, yeah. oh, game over. I think you were busy watching NHL on the fly. Actually, when all this I was, was probably happening. 22 and drunk. He was probably scoring the games from the deck. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, all right, so that's my answer. Uh, if I'm Frank Wright, I am calling uh, F- Philadelphia back, and I'm saying, Doug, pick up. <laughs> Can I have my old job back? Because this is a disaster. Like the only reason why you'd take that job is because of I know, but, Andrew but Luck I'm being saying, healthy, but I, right? But I'm saying— No, I agree. For like the last year and a half, this whole Luck thing doesn't seem like it, it's going to end well. I saw now he basically said as far back as 2015 his shoulder hurt. 
Um, so yeah, I think I would. I think I might be calling Philadelphia back and saying, uh, you know, you know, uh, don't ship me that uh, that ring, that Super Bowl championship ring. I'm going to come pick it up, and I want my old job back. Because now that situation, if luck doesn't come back, that organization until Ursay sells is really bleeped. I don't think I want the job anymore. Final question. Sunday Night Baseball, Alex Rodriguez was going back through his playing days and free agency and seemed to say that he wished instead of signing with the Texas Rangers, that giant deal he got, he would have joined the New York Mets because he was a big Mets fan growing up, loved Keith Hernandez, and wish, you know, ah, man, if I had it all to do it again, maybe I would have taken more control of my free agency and my future and would have said, Meet the Mets, dang it. Maybe if the money's not quite the same, I want to be a Met. Give me a player, any sport, current, former, that you wish would have played for a different team than they did play for. Player you wish you could move from the roster, any team, and put them on a different roster. Cliff Lee Twins, 2010. <laughs> yeah, for just the rest for of the se- season. For selfish even. reasons, there's a, there's a million like Twins-related ones. How about that one uh, Alfonso Soriano trade rumor from about 2006 or something? I think he was with the, no, he was with the Rangers at some point. Yeah, I'd say Brett Favre, but he he came here and played. He did do that. Um, one player that I could take off a roster and put on onto a roster: uh, Wayne Gretzky, North Stars. <laughs> That's what I would have done. That's a not creative answer. I know, but I mean, still, well, I need some time to think about it. If we had if we had been asked the question before the segment, I'd probably could give you a much stronger answer. But I can't think of one off the top of my head. Be honest, head. I just came up with a question once Phil mentioned Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> oh, like, oh okay. yeah, I wanted to bring that up yesterday. That's right. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> well, what what are some uh, what are some examples of like team? Uh, what, what I always find fascinating is when there's a rival between two players yep. that hate each other, and then they eventually have to sort of figure it out. Like when David Price and David Ortiz used to hate each other. And then I think those guys might have played for the same team for a minute, or maybe they maybe that's a bad I think example. But, each other in Boston, but like th- those type of examples, I'm sure run rampant in the '70s and '80s, where you could have paired up so and so and so and so, like Mike Piazza, Roger Clemens. Yep. Wasn't that the deal where Mike yes. Piazza, Roger Clemens threw a no? Mike Piazza yep. threw his no. It was no, Clemens it was the broken threw a bat. bat that Clemens, Clemens threw back at him. At him yeah. Right? yeah, that might have been fun. Like Roger Clemens on the Mets might have had some <laughs> some fun value there. Piazza catching for him. <laughs> Is holding up the number one so everyone can see it. With his middle finger. He's bringing the fastball. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Let's talk to Jason Stark when we come back here from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mark McGuire had something really interesting to say about his PED usage and uh, the number of home runs that he could have hit without using PEDs. He told that to Jason Stark. We'll talk to Jason next. Hang on. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Sometimes they're misguided, and sometimes it's all a bunch of hot air and and an excuse to get drunk. Mackey and Judd. Do not like to be told by their elders how things used to be and how things used to be better. On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. Jason Stark coming in with a bang with baseball stories and uh, and the and the athletic.com the athletic.com slash MLB where you can find Jason's stuff on baseball and Jason the floor is yours here because you had a great interview with Mark McGuire and people are going to be able to find it right now on the athletic.com and you can tell us about 
uh, the baseball stories aspect here, but we, we kind of teased it with his comments about how he'd be able to hit 70 home runs without PEDs. So expand on that and, uh, and tell us what you thought of your sit-down with Mark McGuire. Well, um, I appreciate the, uh, the chance to do that. Um, first off, the piece in The Athletic just gives you a little taste of what's really uh, an incredible half-hour interview, one-on-one, me and him. Uh, you know, we, we recently taped it, so he he was really relaxed. He had a lot of stories. He has a lot of great memories of that season and that summer. And so I gave him a long time to just tell his stories, and they are pretty amazing because a lot of incredible stuff happened, and amazing people showed up. Uh, I mean, every like I saw him hit 17 home runs that summer. I was one of the people following around, and you never knew who would stop by on any given day from MTV to Barbara Walters to Bruce Springsteen's leaning against the cage one day. Wow. And uh, asked him about all of that. And then, obviously, at some point, I decided that I, I really needed to play the what-if game with him and said to him, what if you had never used PEDs? Could you have broken that record anyway? And it was really interesting, Phil, because, you know, he'd been really relaxed and animated and laughing, and his demeanor changed markedly. And I could see a whole different look in his eye when this topic came came up. I'm sure he knew it was coming, but he told me, yeah, absolutely I could. And, you know, I said to him, how can you be sure? And he said it's because he knows himself, and he was a born home run hitter from the time he arrived in the big leagues, which was 11 years before he broke that record. And, I mean, the fact is he is right about that, right? He led the league in homers and slugging and just that year as a rookie and was up there in the league leaders and all kinds of stuff, including wins above replacement. And that was 11 years before he broke this record. And so I let him make his case. It was it was incredible to be sitting there having that conversation with him. And since you gave me this opportunity, people can see the entire interview tonight on Stadium TV, which uh, you can watch if you have an Apple TV or a Roku. You can just, you can just download their app, the stadium app. You can download the app on your mobile device, or you can find ways to watch on watchstadium.com. So awesome. I, I, I'm telling you, it was amazing. Did, did the answer, Jason, surprise you? You know, I, I, I think we just lost Jason. Hold on. Yeah, I think we just lost him. All right, we'll try. <laughs> wow, the suspense. It's a, the suspense. It's a cliffhanger. So to his point, it's a cliffhanger. Mark McGuire came in the league. We don't know when Mark McGuire started using PEDs. So that's that's one thing. But yep. he led the league in home runs as a 23-year-old in 1987. Bunch of injury. He hit thir- you know, in the 30s. Bunch of injury issues in his late 20s. He hit 52 home runs and led Major League Baseball in 1996 in only 130 games. Mm-hmm. So if he had played a full season... In 1996 with Oakland, if you tack on another month's worth of games, does he hit another 10 home runs to get to 62 in that spot? Maybe. I mean, he was on pace to do it. Then he hit 58 home runs combined between Oakland 
in St. Louis in 1997. So it was kind of a slow ramping up. Right. Um, he hit 39 in 1995 in a strike-shortened season, only 104 games. So that was a, that was a 50-plus home run pace. And if they use the baseball that they use now, he probably does. Oh, I mean, well, now sure. just, the ball's just jumping out of the park. Um, I think his progression in terms of, like, the spike in home runs is much more – it's actually much more natural than some other guys. Like a like a like Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds didn't go to to a sixty home run pace, but injuries and then you know fifty eight to seventy it was like boom. And now, all right, back we're to get Jason. the answer from Jason. Okay, Stark. let's start with this Welcome question back. again. Uh, were you surprised by Mark McGuire's answer, Jason? <laughs> all right, cliffhanger. My answer to that was I, I really wasn't because I spent a lot of time around him and I know how confident he was in his ability to hit, and he really does not believe that what he did was because of what he took or whatever help he got. Um, And I don't know how we'll ever know. I don't know how he'll know. I don't know how I'll know. I don't know how you'll know. And, I mean, the the point I made to him was, you know, since there's been testing, there's been no one who has hit 70. There's been no one who has hit 60. So there's been no one who has come close to this. Um, but his feeling is somebody is going to. And he will <laughs> be shocked to know that he, he, he nominates the two guys in New York, Stanton and Judge. Yeah, not, for sure. Yeah, not surprising. How much have has he also has he changed as far as, I'm, I'm sure initially going back, Jason, th- there was embarrassment, anger about this. Does he still carry some of that with him at this point now, or is he pretty well past it as as far as the public perception that uh, that that greeted him when all of the PED stuff came out? You know, that's a that's a tricky question for me to answer, speaking for him. But he he's sensitive to it. Um, he turned down a lot of requests for interviews about this topic. He said yes to me, um, which I'm grateful about. And, you know, the fact that we weren't going to go out and talk to 75 people about him and what PEDs did to the game or whatever I think was a selling point, the fact that he could tell his own story in his own words um, and not just talk about PEDs was obviously attractive to him. Um you know, I guess he got pestered with some PED questions yesterday and wasn't very happy about that. And I guess that's probably my fault <laughs> for letting people know that yeah. he talked to me about it. Um, so I, he's tired of it. I, I can't say I blame him. Here's what's interesting. You know, he's now been a coach, I, I think it's for seven years, for the Cardinals and the Dodgers and now the Padres. And watching him go about his work – it felt so normal. You know, it's been a long time since I've had that feeling watching Mark McGuire. It's what a normal guy. He's a he's a really normal, regular, down-to-earth guy to talk to. Very likable. Uh, very humble in a lot of ways. And as a coach, you know, he doesn't get in, he doesn't get in his manager's way. Um, he he's he looks like any other coach doing the work that coaches do. And I think he really enjoys being normal. We talk about that on the show. And, you know, when this topic comes up, it brings back those days when people thought he he was anything but normal. 
Uh, this I, this is such a fascinating topic. Jason Stark, you can find uh, just a snippet of his interview in print form on theathletic.com with Mark McGuire. And then tonight, uh, Stadium is the is the publishing platform for the the long form interview with Mark McGuire, the video form, which will at the end here we'll let you tell people again all the places where they can potentially find it. But my question is, sure. considering there were no real testing you know, parameters in place through that entire era, you know, the Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire era, even Barry Bonds. And I know that those guys, especially Clemens and Bonds were defiant and, and used the Lance Armstrong sort of style of defense and, uh, and maybe threw people under the bus that didn't deserve it. Are people too hard on players who, who did use performance enhancing drugs in that wild, wild west era? Cause I, baseball's entertainment and the summer of 1998 was the most entertaining time of my life watching baseball. Sammy Sosa was my favorite player as a kid. Is it kind of a buzzkill that he corked his bat and did roids? I mean, a little <laughs> bit, but this is entertainment we're talking about, right? Yeah, you know, you, you, you raise a question that I've thought about a lot, man. Um, you know, I, I thought back then, again, I, I followed him around. I, I watched him hit all those home runs. And I thought at the time, this is the greatest story I ever covered. Uh, this, the, the stuff you saw, the way people talked about it, not just baseball fans, but people walking down Main Street. This was big stuff. This was a big national story because this was Babe Ruth's record, and then he passed it along to Roger Maris, and Roger Maris's family was in, in the stands following him around, and it was huge. It was incredible. And now I, I look back and I think, what do I do about those memories? Am I still allowed to think that was a great time? That was a great summer, <laughs> yeah. even knowing what I know now. Um, and I admit, I I like the guy who did it. Uh, he was a really likable human being who did some amazing things, and now wishes that there had been testing when he played, so none of this ever would come up. What do you think? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where I I don't know it's I, I I what I'd love to know is and we'll and again we'll never know the answer to this. People act like performance enhancing drugs, which is this huge vague category of you know of unknown as well, that it lifted you ninety percent of the way to the home run total that you had. Well, what if we were to find out through science sometime down the road, like in twenty years? Hey, you know uh. Actually, 97% of it was just you being really good at identifying pitches and putting barrel on baseball. And, like, maybe 3 to 5% of it was the extra energy boost and or strength boost you received from whatever PEDs you were using. Like, do we just negate? And let, let's say it's 80% to 20%. I mean, we, we act like it's 0% talent and skill and 100% cheating, and I'm not comfortable with that, I guess. Well, it obviously couldn't be that simple. Obviously. Um, yeah. And yet, the 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 feats, the numbers, the records from that era tell us that this stuff worked. Right? It definitely made guys bigger, yep. stronger, uh, sure. helped them with hand-eye, certainly helped them with recovery. Um, but I, I still think there were hundreds and hundreds of players who did something, took something, and have never come up with a conversation, and we never talk about them. We only talk about the same five to ten people, of which Mark McGuire is one of them. And we just can't answer any of these questions, any of them. I think in in his case, look at his – 
mean, look at what kept him from being that guy for a period of years in the early 90s. It was that he couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't get on the field. And maybe what PEDs did for him was was help him recover and get healthy and get to the batter's box 600 times instead of 300 or 400. And that was a difference. And, and you know, when you, if you take a step back, guys took PEDs for many reasons. They weren't taking PEDs, a lot of them, to break Babe Ruth's records. They were doing what they did for that reason, to, re, to recover, to get on the field, to earn money for their family. It's a really complex issue that we've oversimplified. And I get it. I understand why people are so angry about it. It ruins the greatest record in any sport. I get it. But it's, it's got so many layers to it. And Phil, sounds like you agree with that. And, and Jason, where this is so tough as this, the summer of 98 helped at least partially save baseball. Yep. I mean, 94, coming out of that strike, this was a disaster. People were people. You talk about them being mad, stadiums being empty, and so I, I think it's been f- forgotten now because it's so far past that time. But the summer of '98 took baseball. I mean, going into that s- summer, I remember there were a lot of my friends who were like, "Yeah, baseball. I'm tired of, of it. It takes too long. I'm mad at the players for the lost World Series." And all of a sudden, in August, everyone was glued to it. People were going to batting practice. I, I went to a Sunday game, Cardinals-Twins game, and I got there for BP, Jason. And, and I wouldn't say the Dome was packed, but there were a lot of people there to watch one thing. Mark McGuire take BP. That summer, with Sosa and McGuire, helped save baseball. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, Mark McGuire doesn't think there's any doubt. And you know, since I started tweeting about the show and since... I wrote the piece for The Athletic. Um, obviously, I've heard from a, a lot of people on social media, uh, and you know some of them are, are angry, but there has been a sizable number who also make it a point to say that that's what they think. They, re- they remember that summer, what it did for their love of the game, and how it brought them back. And there's no doubt that that happened. I, I, you know, I don't know what credit or lack of credit that McGuire and Sosa should get for that, but it happened, and it and nothing that has gone on since can make it unhappen. Yeah. Hey, real quick before we do trivia, Jason, tell people again where they can find the full Mark McGuire interview tonight. All right. It, it premieres at uh, 6 Central on Stadium TV, and uh, you can download the Stadium app on Apple TV or Roku, or your phone, or your iPad, or if you have one of those OTA antennas, I know some people do, you can watch it that way, or you can go to watchstadium.com and find the show or find other ways to watch it. Yeah, there's also, like, people can go facebook.com slash watchstadium for more information, too. All right, we have, like, a minute left. Trivia, let's fire it up, Jason. Uh, Stump us. Go ahead. (laughs) You're going to get this? You're, yeah, we're, 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 we're second half guys. We're second half. We're Adrian Beltre early in his career. We're second half guys. <laughs> right. Fernando Rodney in his career, two seasons of at least 40 saves, fewer than five blown saves. So I want you guys to name the only two twins closers who ever had a season like that. 40 saves, 
fewer than five blown mm. saves. Go. Let's see. Glenn never got to 40. I don't think Glenn ever got to 40. Did Aggie? Um, well, Joe Nathan has to be one of them. So, Joe Nathan. Yeah. Okay. 44 for 40. Yes! Did yeah. Aggie ever get to 40? Boy, Aggie, 91. Like, I'm trying to think of the years I mean, they, in which. They started to get good closers uh, with Reardon in 87. Did Eddie ever get to 40 with fewer than five? It's either Aggie or Eddie. Eggie, see, but Eddie had like two or three years where he was more dominant than we give him credit for. All right. You call Eddie's it. Eddie's your answer? Eddie. Uh, okay, let's, yeah, Eddie, that's fine. Eddie. Let's go with Eddie. Good job. Yeah. Hey, nice. Yeah. I would not have guessed Eddie. Yes. He went 41 for 45 Whoa. in 03. Nice Jeff work, Mackie. had a 40-save season, but he went 41 for 48. Jeff Reardon had a 40-save season, yep. went 42 for 50. Glenn Perkins' closest was 36 for 40. Yep. There it is. Nice Look at work, this. We're Phil. off to a hot start. We're one for All two right. so far. Jason, thank you. We're looking stuff, forward to Jason. the Mark McGuire full interview. We'll talk next week. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. All right, All right Jason Stark from The Athletic. Uh, up against the clock, so why don't you fire away here. Prime Mortgage Lending, Judd. That's right. Uh, so you're, if you're con- considering your options when it comes to a mortgage company, I want to suggest my friends at Prime and Kent McCullough in particular. And I want to tell you about Prime because this isn't about simply selling you on something. Prime wants to earn your trust. In fact, they would rather earn your trust than sell you a loan. I said that correctly, and now you're saying to yourself, What does that mean exactly? It means that while Prime would love to have you as a client, they want to meet with you first, sit down and explain their plan, and then the decision is up to you. That's because this is about two key things, teamwork and collaboration. That's what Prime's all about. It's what they believe in. And if you're shopping for a mortgage, you can count on Prime to give you sound advice and straight answers. Prime wants to take some of the mystery out of the mortgage process for you. Did you know Prime may be able to put together a program that can pay your closing costs, not just include them in your loan, but actually pay them for you? Now, this all sounds great, but you're saying, where do I go to find out more? I'm going to make that very simple for you by giving you this website. It's goprimewithkent.com. Goprimewithkent.com. Once again, that's goprimewithkent, K-E-N-T.com. More Mackie and Judd after this. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It's the weirdest thing I've ever had the misfortune to see. <laughs> Mackey and Judd. Yeah, I, I'd say it's top five. On 1500 ESPN. And this portion of Mackey and Judd is sponsored by DennisKirk.com. And another reminder to save the date for the fourth annual Town Ball Classic returning to Target Field Saturday, May 26th. It's presented by 1500 ESPN and the Minnesota Twins. The day will kick off. At 10 a.m. with the Class C game, Class B falls at 1 o'clock, and Class A action wraps up the day at 4. All the games broadcast here on 1500 ESPN. Tickets are $10 if you want to go down there, and good for the entire day. The proceeds from the event benefit the Twins Community Fund. For more info or to purchase your tickets, head to 1500ESPN.com, keyword Town ball. I think it just occurred to me as I was looking this up during the break, Judd, that Mark McGuire is no longer on the Hall of Fame ballot. Was he 10 years? He was either. They took it down from what, 15 originally to 10. There it is. So he, so he might have fallen off. Because, yeah, there it is. 10th year on the ballot from uh, 2016. It was his 10th year on the ballot, 12% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, like Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. I could even listen to Mark McGuire cases. Like, he wasn't a great all-around player. He was just one of the most prolific power hitters. But I was telling you this during the break after that Jason Stark interview, and we were we were watching one of the clips, him asking McGuire. They have a clip on Stadium TV, Watch Stadium. It's facebook.com slash watch stadium. And it just bothers me how much we crap on the steroid guys from the 90s, the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm not exonerating all of them. I'm not saying that that trying to get an edge in a way that, but there was no testing. Baseball didn't care. Writers didn't care. 
obviously, like it was pretty pretty clear well, that something different was going on, and no one no one blew a whistle on it. And we treat a lot of those guys like, and I know that they're defiant and they bring some of it on themselves, but those are some of the greatest baseball players in the history of this country over 150 time, years, and we treat it we 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 tend to crap on those guys. Time has repaired a lot of things because it's given us a distance, which is important in subjects like this. But keep in mind, at the time when it started to come out, none of those guys, for the most part, did, did themselves any favors by being so damn defiant about That's it. That's fair. If they, if Mark McGuire had said, yeah, I did it, even if he had said, I did it at that time, but if I hadn't, if he had explained, I did it because I couldn't stay on the field, so I was doing PEDs for recovery purposes, but in my opinion, I would have still hit X amount of, of home runs. I think we as a public would have been like, well, okay, you did cheat, but forgiveness comes quickly then. But instead, you know, Bonds and McGuire and Salsa and Palmero, everyone was so damn defiant. Yeah. And and we knew that they had done this. If they if we could go back now and undo that, and they're not defiant, I think we see this. If Barry Bonds had been, and, and this might not be fair, but if Barry Bonds had been the least bit likable. I think the perception towards him is very different. Because, like, Andy Pettit flat out said, I used performance-enhancing drugs. It might have been HGH. And Jason Giambi got up there and started crying and basically said, I'm sorry. And and now he was not a great player. But the point was, I think if you said, you know what, I did it, and if you explained why you did it, that's going to help you. Yeah. The recovery thing is actually a big deal. Also, like, it's on the recovery front, and I do think Mark McGuire was using PEDs before 1992, which is the year that he started to drop off physically. I I do think PEDs were in play for him. 1993 was the year where he only played 27 games. Dude hit nine bombs in the first 27 games of that year. Uh, You know, whatever that pace is, that's insane. And then in 1994, he only played 47 games. Again, nine home runs in 47 games. Injuries. You're coming out of that stretch. You're 30 years old. You've been in the league for nine years, and like you can't stay on the field now in the middle of your prime. You're a human. I can see well, why guys turned toward things that would help them get on the field faster. The the indictment here is this, though, and I, I've always said this. If you go and if you went back now – if you got to Bud Selig and gave him truth serum and said we could undo, we could undo all the bad. You catch people, you come down on them, you suspend them. But the summer of '98 then is totally changed with truth serum. Would you do it? Bud Selig would say absolutely not. No, I would. There is either. no As way a fan, that you would do that because because baseball coming out of the Lost World Series in '94 was a mess, mm-hmm. and until '98, people did not embrace it one bit again. We can do kind of, let's do this in our next segment. We'll open up phone lines. If you have thoughts on the Timberwolves Nuggets for tomorrow night, or if you have thoughts on just baseball during the steroid era and whether you would give back the 1998 season, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Plus, we're going to give away Twins tickets to tonight's game during the noon hour today. So stay tuned. Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studio.